Well, good morning. It's the last day of the conference here uh, on the road and um, going to be heading home this afternoon after we finish up. But as I uh, kind of take stock of, of uh, the conference and the practical nature of it, and uh, most of the, the theme has really built been built around the idea of how our times are in the Lord's hands. And uh, we've spoken a lot about, uh, I didn't speak at this conference, it was really just a really refreshing time to come and sit and be with other co-laborers, brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving the Lord and hear some really wonderful teaching uh, and some great perspectives from some uh, very seasoned pastors. And um, and so as I you know, just kind of survey those things that we've talked about as I consider them uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and that whole idea of how do we serve and minister in a day like this, a day that's filled with such uh, fear and anxiety and violence and hopelessness, really. Um, I'm reminded of uh, something that has really lied at, that uh, uh, really lays at the foundation of our beliefs as Christians, those who follow Jesus. Um, we know that we're bought and paid for by the finished work of Christ, His blood shed on the cross for us. Um, we're thankful that we live a life of, of knowing that we're in His hands, and that even as He said, no one snatches us out of His hands or His Father's hands. Um, he gives eternal life, and here we are as believers. Who, uh, who who have eternal life now. Um, not not only the, the, the time that we'll have in eternity, but right now. And uh, there's so much to think about and to rejoice now, so much to consider and meditate on and um, and, and to rejoice in and, and frankly to respond to. Uh, I'm reminded of the passage <clears throat> in Titus uh, that I wanted to share this morning uh, where Paul is teaching Titus, a young uh, pastor, he's encouraging him, I should say, uh, to encourage his people on to good works and that, but not just good works like get out there and just work hard for Jesus, sort of as an end in itself, ultimately, but uh, rather it becomes ultimately a connection to what Jesus has done and what is yet to come. And in that light, let me just read these words uh, here uh, in, in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, uh, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. In other words, these things are important enough that even if you take some heat for sharing them, don't let that dissuade you. These things are so important. Uh, Jesus has prepared, is preparing and building in, uh, in us uh, a people zealous for good works as we look for the great appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, years ago, uh, we adopted our daughter from Russia, and um, we fortunately had some time in the process while we were in Russia. We took two trips over there, and um, we had uh, just a wonderful opportunity to um, to see things and to tour around with a guide who was uh, very kind to show us around and and uh, and very knowledgeable. And we got to see a number of things. Among those things were a couple of churches. And a common thread, uh, that uh, a common characteristic of these churches, was that on the way out, you would see a mural over the back door of Judgment Day, uh, of God bringing judgment down upon the earth. And this was the last thing you would see walking out of the church. And the motivation there was, you better live good, because this is what's coming for you if you're on the wrong side of things. Um, you know, there's, uh, 
um, at the heart of that motivation of, of, of holy living, you know, the idea of holy living is a good one. The motivation, however, is certainly questionable. You know, um, as believers, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more, Paul tells us. Um, we're saved by faith, by God's grace. You know, we receive it through faith. It's not of ourselves, not of works, lest we boast. Um, if, if righteousness came by our works or by the law, then Christ died for nothing. The idea that we're saved and set free because of what Jesus did for us, that in itself should produce a level of gratitude that we just want to live lives that are sort of an expression of our thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. Um, you know, why wouldn't I want to treat somebody who has been so good to me in response uh, to be so uh, to to want to live a life that is uh, demonstrates that Thanksgiving? Why would that not be a natural response for me? Um, but on top of what he has already done. Even as Paul says here, there is the fact that Jesus is going to return. And this is called a blessed hope. This is something that is a, a hope. It's a living hope. It is something that we look forward to because it is a blessed thing that Jesus is coming. Uh, and uh, this this is just sort of something that, that just naturally sprung to my heart and mind as I thought about the conference and how we talk about serving in these days that are so difficult. There is something within me that just cries out for the day when that's done, when he returns and establishes his kingdom, when he uh, wrongs or when he rights all the wrongs and he allows sin to persist no more as he rules the rod of iron. Um, there is so much uh, of this world that I am so tired of and so looking forward to it being made right. And of course, my longing is for many to come to Christ uh, before that day ever has to come, before people have to endure what the Bible describes as that tribulation period where God is bringing judgment on the earth, culminating, crescendoing, uh, is that a word, crescendoing? But you know, culminating in the return of Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom. Uh, that is such a beautiful, glorious thought, a time when no longer will people have to fear walking down the streets? No longer will people have to um, live in fear of being lied to, cheated, uh, assaulted, accosted, um, harmed in any way, but rather it'll be a kingdom of righteousness where we'll finally all get to see what it was supposed to look like uh, here on earth. And we pray for this, right? We've said this many times recently. We pray for this very thing when we ask him to let his kingdom come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is something we long for. And Paul here isn't trying to prove to Timothy that, or to uh, Titus that he should long for it. He simply refers to it as a blessed hope because it's understood that it is. Um, and for that reason, I'm always a little surprised that more churches don't spend time, more believers don't spend time. The body of Christ, by and large, doesn't spend a lot of time considering this. Um, you know, we talk about prophecy a lot there, and I'm not we do. And then there are a lot of channels that do. There are a lot of people on, on the internet that post about uh, end times based things biblically and those kinds of things. But the body of Christ, by and large, doesn't spend a lot of time. You don't hear talk about that from the pulpits. You don't hear discussions about it at breakfast tables. Um, it's just not as common, by and large, at least in the American church. My suspicion is it's different in the church around the world. It tends to be more persecuted. But maybe that's exactly why we don't talk about it so much, because Whereas in the first century, it was a blessed hope because the world they lived in was so difficult and they were persecuted and it was so hard for them. Uh, the thought of Jesus coming to not just establish his kingdom, but even prior to that, as Paul would so often describe in places like First and Second Thessalonians and 
uh, as he talks about the end times and incorporates it with the idea of the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, where he describes the rapture of the church, the idea of being snatched away and being changed instantaneously, being given these glorified bodies, being essentially transformed into that which we were created to be in the first place and then to forever just live in the presence of God and, and with such joy, such bliss, such release. Um, you know, in their culture, in, in their time, I should say, not even just their culture, but their time and the kind of persecution they were living under, uh, this was a great release. This was the thought of his coming to take them home uh, was such uh, a blessed hope. In our day, uh, oftentimes, and again, I can only speak for, you know, for sort of our uh, American Christianity, that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not seen as the blessed hope that it was by them, by many Christians today. I think in part because we have so many other distractions that sort of make life enjoyable and cool and all that kind of thing. And I, I, I maybe don't long for his coming quite like they would have because things are pretty good. I think that's one of the, you know, boy, if you can, and I say this really hesitantly, but if you can say there is a good thing that has come out of uh, the conditions that are permeating our society right now with all the violence and the hatred and the, 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 the inability to talk and without being considered hateful and these kinds of things, maybe now believers are starting to realize like, wow, this, this world can very quickly turn on a dime and everything that I was enjoying is suddenly now threatened and could very well be gone. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that, again, if I can call something good that's coming out of that, it's that I think it's forcing us as believers to realize that this is really not our home. That sounds so cliche to say as Christians because, you know, that we talk about from the pulpit. You know, one day we'll be in heaven. That's our real home. But, you know, we don't really long for it because things have been really, really pretty good. But now they're not pretty good anymore. And you know something? Um, maybe that's a good thing because it causes us to really understand what it means that this is not our home and to lift our eyes up once again and to look forward to that blessed appearing of Jesus. Now, again, as we mentioned oftentimes before and as I alluded to a few moments ago, um, there are two different comings uh, of Christ. One is the one that we typically associate with the, the coming of Christ, and that would be the second coming, where Jesus literally comes to the earth. He sets foot on the Mount of Olives. It splits. He sets up his kingdom and all of these things. Um, you know, and as we, as we recognize um, that that is going to come, it's important for us to also understand that there's a coming previous to that known as the rapture. Again, Paul talks about this and. Uh, in his writings to the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, and, and, and he talks about the rapture. Uh, this is, this is a, uh, uh, an additional uh, blessing to look forward to with such anticipation. And that could happen at any time. There are some very specific things that need to happen before the second coming. But there are no things that need to happen prior to the rapture. And that is why it is such an exciting thing to live in anticipation of. And that's why it becomes a very natural thing for us to be thinking, wow, I want to be about his business when he comes for me, when he snatches me away, you know, what do I want to be doing, you know, I'd like to be doing this, you know, or, or spending time with the body or preaching uh, uh, from the from the word on Sunday mornings, or maybe sharing my faith with somebody or being with my family uh, and talking about the things of God when he comes and snatches us away. What a beautiful thing to think about. And if we're not excited about that, let me encourage you to probe your heart and ask yourself why you're not excited about it. What is it that's making uh, that that is is causing you to not be excited 
that Jesus is coming? What is it in this life that you're longing for that you think will bring the ultimate fulfillment that isn't even that could possibly compare to the fulfillment and satisfaction that will come with being with the Lord? You know, Paul would say, uh, quoting from Isaiah, that eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And there is both an earthly application to that, how God works in the lives of believers and changes us and does great things. But there's also that future-looking understanding of this as well, that one day we'll enter into a place that we are prepared to enjoy forever, that, that, that joy, that rest that has been prepared from the foundations of the world for those who would come to faith in Christ. And in that place, in that time, in that moment, where we see him face to face and enter into our, uh, into our joy, our rest, uh, what, what could ever compare to that? So let me encourage you, search your heart, find out why it is that that's not something you're excited about if it isn't. If it is, then eyes up, we're getting close. If it's not something you're excited about, come before the Lord, ask him to help, you know, help ask him to bring to the surface those reasons why it is that this is not an exciting thought for you. It should be, it should be everything that Paul just said it was, a blessed hope his appearing and that's something we look forward to with great anticipation so let me pray that this would this would be the kind of joy and excitement and uh, that this would flood your heart with anticipation uh, as we look forward in the days to come to when Jesus does in fact come to bring home his bride and then eventually some short time after that to go ahead and establish his kingdom father we're thankful for the promises that you've made we're thankful for the blessed hope that you've made known to us and that Father, that you've encouraged us to cling to in the days in which we live. They did then, and we should know less now. So, Father, we just thank you. And, and, and so many of us are so excited to see you, and we want to be about your business until that time comes. And, and certainly, Lord, we have this hope in us, and so it, it causes us to want to purify ourselves, to want to walk in ways that honor you and bless you, knowing that we could see you at any moment. But, Father, for those who aren't excited about it, First, I pray that you'd bring to the surface those reasons why they're maybe not so excited about it. But secondly, I pray that if that, if that hope is not kindled in them, if they're not excited at Jesus' return, I pray that it also would not have the effect uh, of sort of bringing a, a casual, lackadaisical approach to, to their walk with you. That, Father, if there's no real sense of urgency that Jesus is coming, that maybe that's impacting the way that they're living their lives. It may not be, but it might be. And so I pray that, Father, you bring those things to the surface and kindle a hope within us that burns brightly and drives the engine of our faith and causes us to keep our eyes looking up toward heaven while our feet are firmly planted on the ground as we walk this life in, uh, for your glory and in your name. We pray that we would always sort of keep an eye toward heaven, knowing that at any moment you might come for us and snatch us away. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're going to do. Thank you that you have already done so much. And we pray that, Lord, you would just fill us to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and that he would have his way in us, causing us to be driven to a, a deep desire to see Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all these things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. God bless you.